It's 4.14 on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for the slightly late edition of Taxi TV Live. Yeah, baby. This week, starring special guest star, Mr. Ram and Purcell. And welcome, Randon. Thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. We all right. So sorry for the delay. We've been having all kinds of audio problems. We had four of us working on it, and uh, none of us are, you know, like in the remedial program at school, especially when it comes to audio. So uh, pretty happy that we're on the air at all. But unfortunately, right. we won't be able to play um, some of the stuff uh, the audio from random software that we wanted to, but you know what? Worst things have happened. Uh, That's right. Hello, everybody. Okay, so they've obviously got it because I see people like uh, Ann House, Dan Wessels, Flor- Floyd Armland, Todd Core, Rich Judd, Fantamalonis, Marion Laird, Lamar Franklin, Dave Miller. Okay, all the gang is here. Hello, everybody. Right. So, um, Boy, oh boy. Uh, Let me just say that Randon is probably the hardest working taxi member that I've ever met in 28 years of running this company. The dude gets up at 4.30 in the morning to do his work. He's got a full-time job as a um, computer programmer. Um, He also does a ton of music stuff. And on the side, just for fun, he flips houses every now and then. So, and he's a chef. And he's a dog trainer. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm really excited to have him on the show. A Let me read. Successful dog trainer. By the way. <laughs> Let me read a little bit of his bio. Since 2014, Randon has focused almost primarily on instrumental compositions, from epic trailer pieces to subtle drama and tension pieces. He currently works with over a dozen different publishers in multiple countries, and also provides freelance custom music services for various projects, from advertising to multimedia presentations. He's enjoyed placements on several networks, including HBO, ABC, NBC, CBS, Discovery, Sundance Channel, Travel Channel, and Velocity. Some of his in place some of his placements include a Call of Duty, Modern Warfare trailer, popular TV shows such as MythBusters, Love That Show, uh, Vice, Big Brother, The Young and the Restless, NCIS, NCIS, NCIS New Orleans, got it. NFL football, Woot, uh, Late Night with Stephen Colbert, and Hotel Impossible, just to name a few. Um, So the reason I added the words the right way uh, to do trailer music, how to create film trailer music the right way in the title of today's show is because I've heard this story. I've actually seen it happen with my own two eyes in somebody's basement studio. Somebody walks in, uh, the person in the basement studio with me is playing big, beautiful, lush orchestral pads. uh, And the person walks downstairs and goes, wow, man, you should do movie trailers. (laughs) And I just just quietly turned the other one, put my hand over my mouth. It was holding back the laughter. It was killing me. Um, So what made you decide to start doing trailers and TV promos, I should say, and, um, and video game promos as well. Right. Um, you know, honestly, the it kind of evolved into it. Um, so I was just writing regular old songs and stuff like electronic rock. And, you know, I had my 80s band in the 90s and uh, that kind of stuff for years. And then when I finally joined Taxi, 
and I saw all those instrumental listings constantly. And uh, I'd always enjoyed writing instrumentals, but I never thought of doing it to make any money or, you know, I never really gave it a thought at all and yeah. until I saw all those taxi listings years ago. And I was like, oh, well, you know, there's way more taxi listings for instrumentals than for a song that sounds like Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> uh, right? Like, how many Nine Inch Nails listings do you guys have? <laughs> Not very Every many. Now and then, right? But, you know. There was uh, a time, though. <laughs> yep. And so I thought, you know, I, I, I like writing orchestral music and instrumentals. And, you know, I grew up playing classical piano, so it, it kind of fit. And uh, I just started going after some of those instrumental cue listings. And, you know, of course, like anybody, the first batches were always, like, rejected. I was putting too much in them. You know, I wasn't... I, I had no idea about the television world or, or anything. I knew I loved film soundtracks and, and that sort of thing, but I didn't know anything about the business, anything about publishers, anything about how music supervisors pick their music. Uh, you know, thank God Taxi taught me all of that, honestly. Um, but once I got into, the, into the, the, the instrumental writing, the cues and stuff for TV shows, um, that's kind of when I started thinking about trailers because I was meeting other composers and, and people were talking about movie trailers and how much fun it was. And I always loved that part of going to the movies. Like uh, the trailers, I never show up late to a movie. I want to see the trailers. Uh, so, you know, we always try to arrive just in time to miss the stupid advertising at the beginning, but not in time enough that we see every trailer because that's my favorite part. Um, so then I started seeing taxi listings that were like, hey, we're looking for trailer music. I was like, oh, well, that would be really cool to be involved with trailers. Um, and it, it interested me more than trying to, like, go get into film scoring, quite honestly. Uh, the idea of writing short powerful pieces uh just kind of appealed to me i i get bored easily so two and a half minutes is about about my maximum <laughs> <laughs> so uh after that i lose interest and i so i started trying to write some of those and going after the taxi listings for trailer music and eventually got some placed with some libraries and whatnot um and it just kind of built from there and it just became something that i i found i was far more passionate about writing that kind of music than i ever was doing my electronic music or bands or songs and, and anything. It was just so much fun uh, that uh, I just decided to keep doing it. Um, can you give us a, like a short description of how writing for a film trailer is different than writing for a TV promo? Um, well, you know, a t they're actually really similar for TV promos, honestly. At least the TV promos that, um, that I do because they're more like miniature trailers, honestly. I uh, imagine... Is uh, the length know, the same? No, much shorter. So uh, so the, the main difference is it's kind of like if, if I was doing a TV promo, I might write a full trailer track, but then I would just take like a 60-second and a 30-second version that had all the, all the big important parts of that trailer track, and those would be the, the TV promo track. Essentially, it's... It's either 30 or 15, 30 or 60 seconds long usually, but generally the ones I'm going after are like the 30 second or 60 second TV spots. And they really are very similar to a trailer, except they don't have that introduction that's kind of slow or, or mellow because you've only got 60 seconds. So usually they come in pretty hard hitting right off the bat. 
Um, so, so let's go so. back to film trailers specifically for a minute. What is it that the companies and their their ad agencies really um, right. uh, that hire somebody to do the audio on this, you know, do the score for a trailer uh, or do the music, I should say, for the trailer. Um, what is it that they want the trailer music to accomplish? And I realize that's going to be a different answer depending, you know, is it <laughs> an indie coming of age film or is it a big, bo- right. let, let's stay with like sure. action adventure, big bombastic kind of stuff for now. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I imagine part of it is they want to accomplish just generally getting interest in the movie, obviously. Uh, you know, watching the the trailer without audio would be pretty lame, right? <laughs> In fact, just for fun, mute mute a trailer sometime and watch it because there's not really that much talking in a trailer. It's really all about the music. You know, there's talking at the beginning, but if you're watching like a, a Marvel movie trailer, for example, by the time you're a minute into that thing, there's hardly any talking going on. It's it's all guns and and punches and sound effects and and big music and everything so really in a way it's similar to like a a film score where it's telling a story but you just don't have any time to to develop it (laughs) you gotta jump right into the story gotta hit people right in the face right off the bat almost uh and and get their interest so so really they're they're looking for something that's going to spike interest quickly and 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 get people out to to be excited about the movie so tell us about the process uh that the trailer agencies go through to end up having a a, you know a musician a composer make music for their thing um it's not like they just you know look you up in a rolodex or go online and, and search for trailer composer how do they get the job and how do you get the job from them right so it's actually um well, I guess there are cases where they hire a composer, you know. Uh, I've never had that happen, but, you know, I, I think it does happen. A lot of times maybe for, like, those huge, huge budget movies. But most of the time they go through libraries, like the same same type of libraries that would run taxi listings, right? Okay. Um, so generally speaking, and of course there's exceptions to every rule, but uh, so say Sony's making a, a movie and they need a trailer, they might shop that out to three, four, five different ad companies to, to make trailers. And each one of those companies has libraries that they work with for music. So they would put together, a, you know, each one of those ad companies might make four or five trailers for that one movie to pitch back to Sony. And for each one of those trailers, they're going to go out to their, their libraries and, and say, hey, we're looking for music like this. And they'll give them a brief. Uh, so then each one of those libraries is going to farm that brief out to, you know, whatever composers they have on their roster that they think could do that. And then those composers will write some piece, not to video, but just some piece that sounds the like the brief. And they send that in and the library, if they choose to, sends it back up to the ad agency. The ad agency may or may not put that into one of the five trailers they pitch back to Sony. So by the time you know, by the time it filters down this tree, you might have a hundred composers out there or more composing blind for this trailer that then goes up to their libraries. They kind of do a little A and R and filter those results down. Those go up to the three or four ad agencies that were hired to make the trailers, and then each of them pitches up. So Sony ends up getting you know maybe fifteen or twenty different trailers 
with different music from different composers all over the world. And then whatever one feels right to them, or they'll do a focus group and and see which one the audience responds to Decision better. by committee, I love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that we've thought, you know, me and my publisher would have a, thought we had one in the bag, and the, the ad agency's super happy, and the, you know, the contact at the movie production house is happy, and then they go to the focus group, and they end up picking something totally different. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> you can you can never predict. No. Nope. Uh, so there's there's a lot of times where you're doing a lot of work and it just falls apart at the last minute, but that's just kind of the the game, right? Why wouldn't the libraries have stuff uh, on the shelf as it were um and just pitch that stuff or do they and it, they it's do. okay, so it's a combination of they they look at what they've got in their catalog and they reach out to some of their guys, gal, yeah. gals that um they feel are in the right ballpark stylistically that do this type of instrumental right. really well. And it's some combination thereof that gets presented to, and then it goes to an editor. So right. does the editor pick the music internally at the agency? Um, or is it a, a, you know, like a focus group or an A&R process that hands it to the right. editor? Or is the editor making the decision? No, it's more like, so from my experience, at the at the ad agencies there's like a music soup just like there would be for a TV show mm -hmm. and they're the ones picking the music and 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 supplying that to whoever's chopping up the video and, and syncing the music to it so there's a there's a music supervisor that's going to collect the songs they think fit for the for the trailer and they'll give those to the editor to use so, so let's talk about money follow the money for a second um right. I know there's a really wide range. Obviously, a trailer for a tiny little, you know, two million dollar indie film is not going to pay nearly as well as a trailer right. for a blockbuster Marvel film. Can you give right. us a range of like indie, mid level, and blockbuster? Sure, and you know it, it it does vary a lot, and it varies a lot by publisher too, because some publishers really stick to their guns and kind of hold on to the high end market. So if they're placing something in a Marvel film, for example, especially if there was any custom work going on, like uh, a lot of times the music soup might be like, hey, I really like this track from your album, blah, 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 but it needs these changes. And so they'll contact the composer and kind of customize that track specifically for the trailer. So in cases like that, where there's a lot of extra work done and it's a high-end publisher and a super high-end, ridiculously expensive movie, they might pay a fee of up to you know 70 to 100 grand uh to the publisher right and then you get whatever your share of sync fees are obviously um that would be like the highly expensive you know you're going to go on a trip to hawaii after you place that kind of placement <laughs> um then there's your normal movies like maybe your standard horror movies and things like that um and they kind of range all over too, but maybe maybe they're more in the neighborhood of like twenty grand, twenty to thirty for a, a high end you know horror movie. Right. Um, whereas an indie movie, or like even worse, and not to sound insulting, but like an Amazon Prime or a Netflix movie, they just generally don't pay the same as Sony. You know. <laughs> so Can you give us a ballpark guess of what you think maybe, they would pay? they might be in the under 10,000 range or the 5,000 range, probably, probably closer to what you might expect for like a custom TV spot, you know, like a, 
or a video game trailer or something like that. That's kind of the range that I would think Netflix or Amazon movies would be in. Mm-hmm. Not not theatrical movies, basically. So why wouldn't every composer that wants to do trailers just go online and search, uh, you know, trailer companies, uh, trailer ad agencies, uh, music supervisor, and then right. just bombard the music supervisor with emails and phone calls saying, man, I'm really, really good. You should try me out. Uh, how would that go? Uh, probably wouldn't go very well unless they happened to get someone that was willing to listen and that person happened to really, really like their music. But, you know, odds are, uh, you know, these they, a lot of these music supervisors have libraries that they like to work with. They've got that relationship. They've built up that trust. They know... They know when they call on a Friday night and say they need something Monday morning, they know who to call and they know that they can trust that they're going to get something back that's worthwhile. Uh, you know, they don't want to stick their necks out just trying out new people all the time. They've got very short deadlines to make these trailers and send them back up to Sony or whoever. And, you know, they don't have the, the deal in the bag. They're competing with four or five other agencies at the same time. So they tend to kind of go with people they trust uh, or libraries that they, you know, they might sh- ship it out to a couple of different libraries that they know and trust. So, you know, I, I think personally, if you're going out and, and annoying people, and this would be the same for even like TV publishers and whatnot, you know, if you're not really, really, really good, you could really shoot yourself in the foot because, you know, if I am annoying to, to one of these trailer houses, and they finally tell me to go away. And then eventually I get hooked up with a library that works for them and they see my name pop up on an album that comes over for a brief. <laughs> you know, they may not even bother listening to the track. They're like, oh, that's that annoying dude that wouldn't leave us alone. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, and, and I, I don't imagine you'd really get a lot of responses from most of them either. Um, what are the deadlines, the turnaround times uh, typically on a project? Um, so, you know, usually if it's, uh, if we're just doing like an album for a library, you know, usually a 10 song solo album would be like a seven or eight week project. Um, and then, you know, usually if it's a custom request, like the, the ad agency's like, Hey, you don't have anything on your album that works for this. It really needs to be customized. We want this. Um, those can be anywhere from six hours to 24 hours and they're really usually pretty aggressive you get a call on a friday night and they need something saturday afternoon kind of thing and 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 five guys or ten guys might get that same call and i i don't want to send the ladies out there i'm saying guys generically that it's just composers in locations all over the world hypothetically um could get that yeah. same call. So just because you got the call doesn't mean you're getting the trailer. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten, you know, a lot of those calls and, and met a lot of those deadlines and heard back from the music supervisor that they loved it and they're using it in their trailer cut and still not gotten them. You know, 15, 20 times that happened last year. Wow. So even if, even if you get the trailer from the ad agency, it's still one of three or four trailers they made, and it's still one of three or four ad agencies that's pitching back up to the, the movie production house. So, yeah, a lot of times you're jumping through hoops for nothing, uh, kind of nothing. I, d- I don't really look at it that way. Every one, of a, every one of those pieces is a good practice run, and 
as long as it's not heavily customized using like a theme from the movie, um, then, you know, you just keep it in your back pocket for another pitch another day. So when you get hired by a library to do a work for hire thing where they want a, an entire collection, a CD of different trailer cuts and they give you some sort of direction, you know, we want big bombastic uh, action adventure right. stuff. Uh, and they may reference a couple of composers that are in that ballpark. Uh, so you know what kind of big bombastic stuff they like. Do they ever pay you up front per track for that stuff? Uh, yeah, some do. Some don't. Um, it just depends on, yeah, every publisher is different. Most do not. Um, and, you know, oddly, usually the ones who um, get the most placements don't pay <laughs> up front. Interesting. So, Why do you think at, that at least is? In my experience. Now, there, there's probably like 100 guys out there screaming right now that had a different experience, but in my experience, that's, you know. Yeah, I, I get more I get more placements from the ones who don't pay me up front. Uh, I asked you the other day when we were doing the uh, taxi um, quarantini uh, happy hour that we do every day, Tuesday through Friday. Um, I asked you if you ever get picture to work to, if you're always creating music in the blind. And, and frankly, I, I'm fairly knowledgeable about this stuff, but I was surprised that you almost never get picture to work with. Right. Uh, is that because they're afraid of letting the picture out into the wild that another competitor might get their hands on it or what? It could be, you know, I mean, I, I, I had last in 2019, I think over 20 of those custom, you know, two days turnaround kind of trailer requests. And only one of those gave me video and it was for a video game. And the only reason they gave me video is because they already had cut the trailer to another song, uh, to a classical piece. Got it. And it was terrible, you know, because it, 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 it was just the original classical piece. Uh, uh, Flight of the Valkyrie. Valkyrie, yeah. right. Uh, and so, um, but it was the original recording, which is beautiful, but it's not trailer, right? And so they wanted a trailerized version of that. And so they'd already cut it. So they were like, we need you to do this and we need it to line up with our cuts exactly. So, cause they didn't want to re-edit the video. But that was kind of a rare case. I think most of the time they're farming out for the audio long before they've cut the trailer. They, they haven't cut all the video. They have an idea. They probably, you know, got their um, drawings out to, to know what they're doing with the trailer and what they're going for. And then they shop out for the music and then it comes back and they cut the trailer using the music. So, yeah, usually you're not going to see video. Uh, for people who really don't know much about trailer composition, let's talk about the three act or the four act piece of music. Um, it's, right. For the longest time, it's been three acts. Why don't you explain what those three right. acts are and then let's get into the fourth act, which has become uh, popular these days right yeah okay so the first act is your intro which is generally just some sound effects some pads whatever something subtle um no big drums usually not much rhythm there's usually just kind of enough of a, a well you know it's like those big sub low rumbly hits that you hear at the beginning of movies 
just enough to kind of hint at what the rhythm's going to be or to, or the mood of the trailer, you know. So if it's um, if it's a horror trailer, you're going to hear some creepy noises in the background, like you know, water phone kind of noises, that kind of thing, or some some really messed up string samples or or something. Um, but what's very a, what's a water phone? Uh, you know, it sounds like those. Um, like a, a maybe like an old rusty swing set, and it kind of makes those screeching sounds like a bowed cymbal. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought it was when you dropped your iPhone in the toilet. Got it. Okay. <laughs> that would also make a cool sound, but <laughs> not this one. Um, all <laughs> so right. Like, you know, usually it's just kind of atmospheric noises, uh, subtle tension building kind of stuff going on in that introduction. Um, usually there's a lot of dialogue in that part of the trailer, so it's kind of like uh, writing for TV cues where you're leaving lots of room for dialogue to go on top of it. So it's definitely not the star of the trailer at that point. It's, it's just there to provide something in the background that hints at what's to come. Okay, um, and so, what's Act 2? So Act 2 kind of picks up where Act 1 leaves off. You know, Act 1's going to build a little bit... And then Act Two is going to come in and and introduce more pulse and rhythm to the to the track. Uh, uh, this would be more for like an action type of trailer. Um, it's going to get a little bigger. Maybe that's where you're going to have some rhythm in your strings and you know those ostinato patterns of coming in in your strings. Little brass hints it uh, maybe toward the theme that's going to be coming up in Act Three. Um, but again. It's not going big and bombastic yet at this point. It's just introducing some of those percussive elements and rhythm, but it's not going full in your face, loud and bombastic. And is that the part where, is there still dialogue or uh, I'm guessing? Yeah, there's usually. The first part might be an announcer, you know, in a world. Right. Um, And then (laughs) after that is dialogue. And I want to register if anybody in Hollywood that works on trailers is watching this, I've got a bone to pick. Very often when the the dialogue is introduced, the people in the audience can't really understand it. Um, it, it, It's almost like, it's not that it's subtle in volume, but uh, the way it's said or how fast it's said. Um, And and I've mixed a lot of this stuff back in the day when I still did audio post at, at a pretty high level. And I always found that the producers in the room had no problem. I would turn around and say to them, of course, they were on the couch eating, you know, a $65 steak from a place that delivered. I'd say, <laughs> I, I can't understand what the actors are saying. No, no, I get it. I get it fine. But that's because they've seen the script. They've heard it a hundred right. times. Their brain is already tuned into it. They yeah. really need to solve that problem. They should, I'm surprised they don't pick that up in focus groups. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree I, with you. It is hard to understand a lot of the times. Yeah, especially but, on an action flick, you know, where the, yeah. the music is starting to become... Um, you know, more integral and maybe more yeah. active. Well, a lot of times the sound effects are so loud that that's what's drowning out the the actor's dialogue as well. Right. Um, but yeah, so anyway, Act Act 2 is just kind of building and, and again, the, the entire way through, it's going to build, build, build up to where it goes into Act 3. Um, generally speaking, it's about the same length as your action, which is 30, 40 seconds, you know? Um I mean, generally speaking, your three acts are going to be like, you know, 30, 30, and a minute. You want your, your third act to be the, the mass of the movie, twice at the same length as the other two acts combined, generally speaking. 
Um, but yeah, act two is going to build on the tension. It's going to build on the action. It's going to build on the rhythm and kind of come up to a, 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 a climax for that act that gets you ready to go into act three. And generally there'd be a, you know, an edit point there. A lot of times, uh, especially in Marvel movies where they've got the action and the comedy going, that's the spot where it would build and build and build. And it might even have a dead stop with no music at all and cut to the dialogue where the actors make some funny comment about each other. Like in the new Black Widow trailer, you know, it stops and she says something to the guy about, you know, you got fat, you know. So there's, you know, that kind of stuff usually gets stuck right in there as a, as a stopping point. Right. So it's kind of a good idea to have those stopping points in your, if you're just writing blind, you know, put a stop between every one of your acts because they need those to, to insert that kind of stuff all the time. And you're talking about a dead stop with nothing going on because I'm guessing you can't have like reverb, uh, you know, tailing or, or usually, usually you can leave your tails in there and stuff. Oh, like, okay. Cause the editor will chop it. And you know, it's really weird. If you can get your hands on trailer music, that's been chopped to the video and don't listen to the sound effects or dialogue, just the music that gets chopped. It's terrible. I, you know, if you heard the chops, they're not even clean. They're just wow. these abrupt chops. When you hear it with everything else, it, it doesn't bother you whatsoever. But it sounds awful when you hear just the song the way that it was hacked up for a trailer. You'd think that would never work. But no, they, so if there's a reverb tailing off, they'll just chop it off. It doesn't bother them any. <laughs> it would bother me plenty. Right. Uh, <laughs> it would drive me nuts. <laughs> I'd probably be elbowing my wife in the ribs going, did you right. hear that reverb tail get whacked? <laughs> but you know what they'll do is they'll chop it and then they'll stick their own sound effect on top of it that has the tail that they want, or the length they want. Right. Um, and so you don't even hear it when it's all said and done. But, but the raw chop sounds just dreadful so many times. I mean, right in the middle of like a cymbal crash or something. <laughs> it's just cut, done. Uh, let's so, move on um, to the next act. <laughs> So Act Three is like your big uh, bombastic section in a, in a, or even in a horror trailer. I mean, it's the big section, right? It's it's where everything's going faster paced in the in the trailer. The scenes are flashing by quicker. There's not as much dialogue. It's it's you know the fight scene or it's the you know um, the clown chasing people in the it trailer. That kind of stuff is happening in Act Three where it's. It's no longer hinting at anything. It's like right there in your face, giving away parts of the story, which is often why I hate watching trailers before I go to the movie because Act Three always gives everything away. Right. But um, the uh, but yeah, that's where it's getting. It, it comes in big. It needs to come in strong. You don't want to. If you were to look at the wave file for a trailer mix, it should be doing this slope upward the entire time. If if you're looking at that wave and it's coming up and then down again and up and down again that's just not going to work they need something that builds all the time and you know there are exceptions to that where you'll have like a weird little section in the middle and then come back uh, but generally speaking you want building 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 constantly so three is going to come in pretty big and in your face um, that's where you'd introduce if it's if it's got kind of thematic elements to it or you know the french horns playing a theme or something um, again, you don't want it to be some big overly melodic theme. That, you know, it's, we're not we're not 
playing this in a concert hall for people to listen to. It's still got to enhance the video without trying to steal its thunder, right? So simple melodies, simple themes, but big and, and lots of stuff going on. Lots of huge drums, lots of, you know, uh, strings, brass, the works. So um, the rules of the game, it sounds like, uh, for trailers are not unlike the rules of the game for uh, music for television in that it's really got to amplify the emotion or the tension, whatever is going on. But uh, you said a very key phrase, which it's not the star. Um, right, yeah. And that's interesting because, you know, you sit in a movie theater, watch a trailer, especially, again, the big bombastic action uh, trailers. Right. And... Maybe it's just because I'm a music person and I sit there and listen to it more. Maybe, you know, the average person who's not in the industry doesn't listen to it in the same way. Right. But, yeah, the music, I mean, if you watch the trailer without the music, it would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it'd be real. Yeah, it'd be like watching a movie without a soundtrack. I mean, it's just not the same, right? So in the past, for many, many, many years, uh, it's been, trailers have been a, th a three-act affair, and the third uh -huh. act just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right. crescendo to a big boom, and the world explodes, and everybody's like, woo, got to <laughs> see that. And now in the last several years, they've come along and added a fourth act. What does that right. do? Um, so that's, you know, usually like some people call it like a bumper ending or something. It's, it's that last little... You know, it's not the tagline. The tagline comes after, but it's that last little bit of interest in the movie, usually super fast-paced, super loud. We, we call that, uh, with one of my publishers, he likes the term face-melting. So that's the face-melting area where everything's just in your face. There's no building going on. It, it comes in and exits extremely loud and, and bombastic, right? Um, it, it's very short, you know, no longer than usually 10 seconds, if, if that. A lot of time it's just like a couple bars at the end. And it's just to flash a bunch of really quick, you know, pictures on the screen. Um, definitely more common in action and horror movies. Uh, you know, I can't say, I don't really watch a lot of drama trailers, but I don't know that they would have anything comparable. But, you know, in a horror movie, that's where you get that big creepy like super loud screeching rise going on and the, the big nasty metallic hits and things like that and you know i'm thinking of the it trailer off the top of my head you know when it comes in at the very end of that trailer it's just really fast cuts of pennywise just like chasing people and doing all these things and it's it's so fast i mean these scenes are flashing by like one a second tops it's just like you can almost not even take it in but that's that that last little grab your interest in the movie and kind of you know the idea is that when that comes in everyone holds their breath and they don't breathe again until that thing ends and then it breathes for a little bit and then you have your little stinger at the end to let them flash you know whatever the the company is that's making the movie you know Right, and, and and those weren't always in trailers years ago now they are, they have a um I don't know what's the terminology you used. Um, a stinger. Yeah, but uh, no. After the stinger, there's the uh, and then. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Like so, like a, a little 
I don't know. It's something when they like, pop up the the cards the outro, for yeah, yeah, and and that's really just because they've got some legal obligation to stick the Sony logo <laughs> or whatever up there, right? And they can't have it be in the clear with no audio, right? Right. Yeah. And so a lot of times the editors just put that on there themselves and put some subtle, you know, sub boom going on underneath it. Um, I always just include something like that in the track so that if they do happen to use the ending of my track, they can just stick that little advert at the end. Um, and there's like a nice little sub boom while everything else is tailing off. All the reverbs are tailing off and you got kind of a subtle sub hit or something going on. So I've got a couple of questions about the timing of things. First of all, yeah. is there like a TV commercials always a 15 or a 30? Uh, right. But trailers don't always, you know, I hear people say eh, about two and a half minutes. Um, right. it, and obviously you agree with that. That's a real number, but they don't have to be exactly two and a half minutes. No. Why is that? Well, because, you know, in TV, they're buying those ad slots in 15, 30 and 60 second blocks. And it doesn't matter what your music's doing at 60 seconds. That right. sucker's getting Goodbye. cut off, right? <laughs> In fact, half the time, you hear it all the time. They get cut off like two seconds early. Right before the last note of the song plays, someone screwed up and cut that commercial at 58 seconds, you know? Yep. But, um, yeah, so they're buying those slots like that. Whereas a trailer, it's the movie company that's making the trailer for their film. They can make it however long they want. Um, so, you know, there's lots of those trailers. They're like three and a half minutes long. Uh, especially for the big Marvel ones. Um, but what you'll, what you'll see is for the big movies, well, for most movies, but especially the big ones, they'll have three or four different trailers that they release, right? And so there's a teaser trailer that comes out eons before the movie ever comes out, uh, like, what, nine months, a year? You know how it is. You see them when it's, like, coming in 2025, and you're like, what the <laughs> Five years from now? <laughs> I've been excited for Black Widow for a really long time. But uh, so they have the teaser trailer that comes out, and that's usually like a, you know, whatever, one and a half, two minute trailer. Um, and then there's the main trailer or two that come out, you know, much closer to the release date. And those are your two and a half, two to two and a half minute trailers usually. And then they've got to have a TV version that's got to be right. 30 seconds, I would guess. Um, yeah, 30 and 60 seconds yeah. for the TV spots for the trailers. Um, and so, and you know, usually you see those get farmed out to different people. So, you know, if you get the theatrical trailer, that doesn't mean they're going to just chop that and use it in the TV spots. The TV spots might and, and often do come from an entirely different ad agency than the, the theatrical movie. So, you know, they can come from anywhere. Um, so a lot of times you'll see libraries asking for things ahead of time before movies come out kind of anticipating what's coming so they might send out a brief for you know songs that would work for 30 and 60 second spots for james bond for example you might see that six months before that movie comes out because tv spots are kind of the last thing to get done after the theatrical trailers and everything so um yeah those are very different and you're writing it and you've got to cut it right on the money it's got to be perfect uh and usually it's got to end like a, a second and a half before 30 or before 60 so you've got your little tail 
And um, is there any prescription for the length of time that each one of the acts should be, or is that just a, a feel thing by composers no. watching enough that they can feel when they made it long right, enough? Right. Yeah. Them? I mean, it's not an exact thing, no. But generally speaking, you know, you don't you, you want the bulk of your piece to be in the act three and act four. So generally speaking, you're going to trim the the intro and the second act down to 30 or 40 seconds tops because you know uh, kind of with any advertising you don't want to take too long to get into the meat of the thing right you've got to use act one and two they exist solely to get you to act three um so you don't want to drag them out um there you know there are cases where they call them slow burners the slow burn trailers and they're the ones that don't have all the big stops between all of the acts. It's like one big continuous three-minute block of music that just builds, 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 builds. Um, you see that a lot in like the adventure kind of trailers. Um, some of the sci-fi trailers, you would see a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Um, and so those are a little different because the, although they're still kind of three acts, they're not separated and, and you can't really easily pinpoint where one starts and the other ends because it's just a constant slow burning build all the way through but generally speaking you know if you kind of target 30 30 and 60 um you're going to be in pretty good shape and what about oh, i totally lost it um oh whether your entire piece gets used i mean i've known plenty of, of trailer composer friends that are really upset when their entire piece didn't get used and the editor <laughs> cut in maybe three or four different pieces of music. Oh, yeah. I, I don't even under, I mean, you've got to worry about key changes, tempo I yep. can understand, but there's so many variables. How do they, how do they do that? You know, I, I don't know, because you rarely hear a trailer that has one piece used all the way through it. Yeah, but really, yeah, really, really rare. I, and, and I don't even notice it. I'm in the industry and right. I watch that sort of thing, and I'm sitting there watching a trailer. I admit I get sucked in by you know the action in the trailer, whatever the story <laughs> is, the trailer, and I haven't realized it was three pieces of music. But how did they find? Yeah. Does is there like a common key that almost everybody cuts in, so your stuff is interchangeable with other Not stuff? Not really. No. I mean, these things are kind of all over the map, and I think they just find you know ones that work together I, you know they've probably got enough tracks from their libraries and stuff that they can mix and match um but yeah it is it is crazy and when you really start listening while you're watching these trailers and really start paying attention sometimes you can tell like oh that that intro didn't really you couldn't hear how that intro could flow into the next act you right. know so you, you kind of guess it came from two different composers. So, so a lot of times what you see is act one and act two come together from one composer. Yeah. And act three comes from another composer. I'm guessing the guy who did one and two wasn't bombastic enough. It didn't let it get big <laughs> enough. And it's like, well, yeah, that's great yeah. for the first two acts, but. Um, right, exactly. So how do the composers get paid then? Let's say three pieces of music end up in a theatrical trailer that's right. two and a half minutes long. And let's say uh, that they're not all exactly, you know, 45 seconds or whatever. Do, right. Does the composer get paid by the running minute or? Um, no. So it's it's not like TV where, you know, there's a cue sheet that says you your music was used for a minute and a half. So you get paid more than the guy that was used for 45 seconds. I mean, ultimately, 
it's really up to the publishers and especially if they're coming from three different publishers like you know the guy that did act three might be with a super high-end publisher and he might get 20 grand for act three whereas act one and two may have come from a publisher who doesn't negotiate as well wow. <laughs> and and that guy might get paid three grand for act one and two I, it could it could really go either way but it's really all about the publisher Let, let's hope they don't go to the same movie theater on the same night because <laughs> accidentally oh really you compose for trailers yes so do right. i really oh yours is in the oh that's amazing so is mine what did you get well i got twelve thousand yeah. bucks what did you get 1900 <laughs> right that's exactly it and, you know i think as a general rule like i i'll never ask anyone else what they got paid for something because i don't want to know <laughs> <laughs> i do not want to know <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, really, it, it could be all over the map, even from the same publisher, because they're going to negotiate a deal for for each portion of that trailer. Yeah. Um, I mean, ideally, you'd like to think that if it's all coming from the same publisher, they're going to take some... whatever they got paid for it and split it up equally among their composers or or based on how much of each one's track was used. As a friend of mine very wisely told me about 20 years ago, there's favored nations and then there's favorite nations. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, so. so let's talk about sound effects because they've become such a big part of trailers now. And, and I yeah. think the average person watching a trailer in a, in a movie theater doesn't realize that much of that big bombastic stuff, the you know the drum hits, the explosive sounds, the the brams that we'll talk about in a minute, uh, all that stuff is layered in on top of the music after the music has been edited. So I want right. to know the people that create those sound effects. How did they get paid? Yeah. So actually, most of the time they get paid in the same way. In fact, a lot of times the libraries that do the trailer music also have albums of sound effects. And so if this, if this music editor is in uh, music soup is in there like, Oh, I need a big, huge whoosh bang. That sounds like a monster. They'll look through this library and pick one that they like, and it'll get um, a quote request just like the music for the trailer, you know? Yeah. You'll get, and you'll get paid for a single sound effect getting used on a trailer when it was someone else's music and they just used your one riser or your one big whoosh bang or something. Um, that happens all the time, but it gets quoted just like anything else, just like a piece of music. Do you have um, any idea what the range would be on those quotes? Is it, you know, like uh, you know, a few usually, hundred up to a few thousand or are there, yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, if, if it's like a big bram kind of kind of thing that's kind of important in the movie it might pay more like two or three grand if it's just some whoosh bang that's used in the middle you know it might pay three or five hundred bucks or something you know um but yeah it can it can be all over the map it's never going to be a ton of money i mean you know a few grand is a, a good chunk of money right but not compared to 80 grand right yeah <laughs> so it's all relative but it is all but yeah, relative sound effects, um so a lot of times they'll go to the libraries for the sound effects too. They'll even go to the libraries and ask them to create them, custom sound effects. Or they'll go to companies like, um, and, and buy libraries of sounds like, I don't know if you're familiar with Boom, Boom Library. No. They, Boom Library makes really wicked top quality sound effects for movies um, and for composers actually. Because you can buy all of their raw material sounds um, that they've recorded and make your own stuff from them as well. But not for licensing 
use for using in a composition that's one thing but i i can't buy their stuff morph it and then license it out all by itself it has to be part of a, a, a so song. why don't you as a composer or all composers um i mean you guys would know where those elements the sound design elements would probably go although i, I imagine a certain amount of them are cut to picture uh, right. You know, when there's a car flying off a building or something, obviously, <laughs> right. you know, and you don't know when that's going to happen. But aren't there places where you could use those sound effects kind of generically? And so if you license it from a library and then it goes into the trailer and makes it into the theatrical release, they've already the, the sound effect producers already been paid because you bought it from them yeah. and put it yeah, in your exactly. music. And there's yeah. no residuals. Just for those of you who are... In America, you don't get paid residuals on theatrical releases. You only get paid everywhere else in the world. Just saying. Right. In, in America. <laughs> you get, you know, um, some back-end PRO money for theatrical release elsewhere, but not in the good old U.S. of A. Um, wow. So when it's all said and done and you hear a piece of music that you've created in a trailer what does that feel like um really cool you know um i mean i haven't had a ton of big trailers a lot of mine have been tv stuff but even still it's awesome yeah, that counts but uh, you know um video games things like that it's it's really cool to hear it you know even if it's um, not a big theatrical release i you know it's kind of like with anything it's fun to hear your music anywhere you know background of a tv show it's just it's kind of validation i guess you know hey someone like that enough to stick it in there with their art is there any um i know that you don't really specialize so much in the other forms of trailers but can we go through like a range of types of trailers um, I gave the example sure. before of uh you know a coming of age film which might use like classical quartet or something as somebody's right. riding their bicycle through the countryside you know with a, a flowery right. hat on or something <laughs> like that um what other types are there um so yeah something like that then there's the um sci-fi trailers which are really similar to the action trailers just slightly different sounds to them you know definitely more techy sounding than than big huge bombastic orchestral um there's Horror trailers, which is one of my favorite. Um, Gee, I couldn't tell. Very sparse. Yeah. <laughs> very sparse. Yeah. Lots of weird noises. And those ones are fun because you just, you're looking around your house and just recording stuff and turning it into weird noises because you, they just want unique noises. And you're not trying to sound huge and bombastic. It's just, you just want to creep someone out. So any noise you can make that's creepy, then great, throw it in there. Well, plenty, um, of, plenty of time to look for sounds in your house this month. I know, right? <laughs> Coronavirus is going to bring about all sorts of sound design. Yeah, and um, a baby boom. Right, yes, for sure. What did they call them? There's, there's a name for those babies. I can't remember now. That are going to oh, be... Children of the Corona. <laughs> children, children of, of the, the Corona. corona. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, I was on the phone with like, somebody last last night, and I said the, the same thing about there's going to be a baby boom, and uh, they actually sprung it on me that they will be contributing to that boom. So they got <laughs> they got a head start before uh, coronavirus was already here, but it wasn't like front page news yet. But 
I think right. they're, they're still going to try and lay claim to you're a Corona baby. Anyway. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, what other types? Oh, you know, there's also like the Disney trailers, right? Like the Mulans and the, the Jungle Boat. They're those adventure feel good. Um, they're not like the indie feel good that are usually, you know, some guitars and stuff like that. They're still orchestral, but they're much more like your sweeping strings and kind of, uh, you know, if, if I'm someone that wants to be a film composer and that's the kind of music I'm writing, that would be the type of trailer that I might be able to go after more than, say, an Avengers trailer. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's that beautiful, orchestral, emotionally uplifting kind of music. But they all still generally follow that same three acts. They're, they're all building. They might not go bombastic and they might not get huge. Um, but the, each one, by the time it reaches act three, is going to deliver the, the meat of that trailer and, and enhance the, the video to get people excited about seeing it. So whether it's really uplifting, beautiful melodies that are, are playing to enhance it, or extremely creepy, loud, in-your-face, terrifying noises. Um, either way, they're still following that one, two, three act uh, for the trailer. What about the, uh, the use of reimagined popular songs or hits? Um, that's been a thing now for, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years. Right, yeah. um, people keep saying, oh, we can't wait for that to go away, but it's like ukuleles uh, not going away anytime soon. <laughs> right, um, yeah. yeah. How does that affect you as a composer when you know that they might actually take, you know, a, I'm trying to think of a good example, like the song Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones uh -huh. and do like a really slowed down version with like an indie <laughs> attitude vocal in it. Do you ever know um, if they're going to use a reimagined cover before you start creating music for something, or is that an afterthought in the edit bay? Um, I, I know that there's libraries that have albums of reimagined songs that they've done just in case, you know? But in my experience, almost every time it's a custom request, like, uh, you know, the library calls and says, hey, they want to use this song. Um, they've got the rights already to use it. They've you know, and they'll send over like the vocal stem and the instrumental stem separately so that you can use it and, and compose around it. Mm -hmm. um, usually that's the case. Um, I've got to imagine in the cases where you hear some big name singer doing it, like um, uh, Hunger Games used um, a Lord reimagination of Tears for Fears Right. Uh, years ago. Everybody wants to rule the world. I got to imagine that was some sort of custom request, you know, that involved, hey, we want her to sing it and we want this. But that probably didn't go out to a bunch of normal guys like me. Um, <laughs> hey, you consider but, yourself you know, normal, probably, huh? Yeah, well, relatively speaking. <laughs> I did have, you know, maybe four or five requests last year that were other people's songs that were being chopped up and trailerized, basically. So it does happen, but... Um, you know, a lot of times you do all that work and chop it up and I hate doing it because if it doesn't get used, you can't reuse it for anything else. It's all throwaway work because it's using someone else's song and I don't have permission to just pitch that out to anyone I want. So I generally don't jump all over those because, you know, I've been burned too many times where it's 
gotten dropped at the last minute from a focus group. Um, do styles change? Do, are there seasonal changes, um, annual changes, decade-driven changes where, um, you know, uh, that, that music you composed five years ago is now out of style and, and unusable. So libraries, do they have to keep refreshing to keep stuff modern because styles have changed? Right. I think there's an element of that too. But, you know, and I know a lot of guys who've said this too, that a lot of times they're getting trailer placements off songs that have been sitting in their library, you know, their publisher for four or five years. And they suddenly resurface and get used in two or three trailers. Um, so it's kind of like the TV world in that sense. You know, you write those in instrumental cues and you don't see anything on your pro statement for five years and then all of a sudden it starts showing up. Um, so you, you don't really ever know. I mean, the, the goal is to kind of try to make them timeless to, to a degree. But, you know, if you listen to tr some of the trailer music from five or ten years ago, it's just not as big and in your face as the trailer music that's coming out today. So odds are it's not going to get used as much. But um, I think a lot of those older tracks end up getting filtered down into TV spots and stuff like that as well. So I, there's quite a bit of life in, in trailer tracks if they're written well. Uh, let's talk about the quality of the sample libraries, the, you know, the composer's ability to use them really well. Um, I won't mention the, the gentleman's name. Somebody, it's got to be somebody you definitely know in the music side of the trailer industry. And we sent him some stuff one time for his library that we thought uh -huh. was spectacularly good. And I can't imagine anybody listening to it saying, <laughs> that's not spectacularly good. And when he got it, he said to me, you know, compositionally, oops, compositionally, the stuff was pretty okay. Uh, he said, but it wasn't real strings. And I said, well, of course not. These are people working out of home studios. And he goes, well, you know, dude, when we get stuff in a big movie, it's got to be real strings. And frankly, that was some years ago. It was the first time I heard about people doing remote string sessions using right. a live orchestra in Prague or somewhere. Um, right. So can you explain what that is, how it's done, how much it costs, and how necessary it is to go to that extreme? Yeah, I don't... I don't think it's often that necessary. I mean, there's certain libraries that always do it where they'll have, you know, um, a lot of libraries have multiple labels um, within the same library. And so they might have one label that specializes in trailers that have live strings recorded. Um, so there is that element, but you know, the string libraries now have gotten so good and sound so good that, that um, they work fine, you know, as long as you can record them in well and, and know how to make them sound good. Um, it's going to be a little more rare for, say, like the Disney-esque adventure things where it's all about that music and more melody and stuff. Those, a lot of times, yeah, they'll, they'll hire an orchestra to play those, at least like layer some real strings on top of the right pre-recorded ones um but those big like avenger type movies and stuff like a lot of those just use library tracks that were recorded in someone's bedroom i mean if you've wow. got the the good libraries out there i'm you know i've never had to layer any strings over anything that i've done 
That's good to hear uh, because there are a lot of talented yeah. composers out there that can't do, you know, the, the Prague Symphony uh, thing. Right. And, and yeah, you know, admittedly, it was some years ago that that gentleman told me that. But um, the quality, I, you know, I'm an audio engineer by trade, I guess you could say. <laughs> and I certainly listen to a lot right. of music for media and I can't tell the difference anymore. I can't. Maybe right. maybe yeah, they, they somebody who sits different. in an orchestra actually could, but I hear stuff that's right. great and it's indiscernible. A lot of times, a lot of times when someone that knows what they're listening for says that it doesn't sound like real strings, it's not even so much about the samples as much as the composition. Um, you know, if it's not if it's not played in the way that a real string section would play it with the different sections layered on top of each other, or if it's played right. in in a very mechanical kind of you know, machine gun kind of way with the same velocities across the board on everything. So, but if you're thinking about it being played and how it would be played with the different bow movements and the random, you know, velocities, these string players aren't playing the exact same velocity every time they strike the string, you know. So how did you learn that stuff? Um, you know, mostly just, um, well, there are the cases where, you know, someone told me like, hey, this would sound better if it sounded more like a real orchestra playing it. Um, and so I listen to orchestral music and go back to my, you know, uh, roots in classical music. Um, but you know, if you listen to the, the live string sections playing and, and you can, you can feel the music coming from those string sections cause it's very, it's got a pulse to it and it, it's not mechanical at all. Even if they're playing, you know, really fast string repetitions and stuff. You can tell it, it it just has those variances in in every note and so if you start recording your samples and just playing them in at the exact same velocity it's just not going to sound real but if you go in and put some randomization to that or or if you're playing big long string lines you know when the, when they're playing those um running their bows across those strings it's not the same volume all the time they they can push harder and let up on it and get those different nuances and you can control all that in the sample libraries these days. And nobody's so. got a 32-foot bow. Nobody. Right, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Nor do they have a 32-foot arm to control right, that bow. It's got to change direction at some point, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to hear the, the little nuances of, of those changes. And so a lot of that's recorded in the libraries these days. So as long as you're not lazy, you know, you can control vibrato, and you can control... Um, the the um, amount of pressure they're putting on the strings and all of that stuff. So, you know, as long as you're not just being lazy, you can make them sound really realistic. Speaking and of, of course, not... you got to buy good sample libraries too. There are some that are better than others. Um, speaking of not being lazy, you are definitely the least lazy person that pops into my head. Um, and it, it, as if you didn't have enough on your plate already, you and two other composers who you should name in a moment um, created a library of your own specifically targeted for trailer work. And it's called, you guys are, yeah. are called the Fallout Group. Tell us how that came about in the products that you're making, because that's what got me interested in asking you back to the show. Um, yeah. you, you did one with me in the office a couple of years ago, I think already, but um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I think I saw you in my Twitter feed and clicked the link and went to check out the videos, the demo videos of the stuff you guys were making. I was blown away. And, and then I called you or something and said, how the hell do you have the time to do all this? But you do. So tell, <laughs> tell us how- I don't know. 
<laughs> I, I don't either. You must have the most wonderful wife and kids in the world. It's like, we know daddy's alive because food disappears from his plate every night. But yeah. Anyway. No, it's all early morning work for me. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, come on, even early morning, you know, what do you get? Like two, two and a half hours in before the family wakes up? Um, and I usually get about, you know, by the time anyone's really doing anything or before I start the day job, I can get in a good three and a half hours. And do you, you know, do that six or seven days a week or seven days a week? Yeah. Okay. And then if there's nothing going on in the evening after we've done, you know, dinner and, you know, maybe we'll play some games or whatever, I might sneak down for an hour at night too to catch up on things. But yeah, that's about uh, um, do you ever like fall asleep next to your wife and then <laughs> and you hear her like breathing and you check and make sure she's asleep and then you quietly slip out of the bed tiptoe down to the basement <laughs> that, to... Was, that was me like 20 years ago before i started getting up early i'd stay up all night and do music but yeah. now it's the other way around like i'm telling you when i if i sit down for too long and i'm not talking i'll fall asleep i fall asleep <laughs> anywhere i am as long as i'm not talking maybe you should so, have yeah. named the company narcoleptic productions <laughs> maybe uh, so, yeah. so yeah tell us about how fallout came to be yeah so me and then uh, of course you know kyle nicely yeah and um i don't know if you know andrew skipper or not no um we've done some stuff together and so we we kind of all got talking about starting you know building our own instruments mostly because we were so frustrated with the existing instruments uh, for trailer composers because a lot of them are very finished products they sound huge they sound really cool I mean, these the, the libraries out there are really cool sounding. They sound like they belong in a movie trailer. But when you're writing something and you you want it to sound unique, it's really hard to use them because you're like, well, I heard that riser in the Black Widow trailer or whatever. You know, I heard that riser here. I, I've heard that drum hit. hit. You know, it, it got something very unique about it. identifies it. You know, you've heard and you you know, libraries. Uh, I think you're losing. Hear those. You're losing bandwidth. Tell the kids to quit playing video games. Turn off the Netflix. <laughs> damn it, Dad's trying to make some money here. Right? Exactly. No streaming. <laughs> That's right. Is it okay now? Uh, you're a little jerky. Uh, yeah, you're, you're. Yeah. And I don't mean jerky in the personality sense. Wow. Now you're freezing. Uh, now you're entirely right, pixel. Switch. Switch to what? Oh, no. He's frozen. I'm not. So you guys are stuck with me entertaining you for a moment. But when he comes back, and after he tells us all about um, how Fallout got started, I want to, uh, I don't know how many people, let me get the chat room open for a moment here. See how many of you guys know about um, what rises are, risers, um, drops, Brams, trying to think other stuff. Uh, let's do a little trivia thing here. I don't know what he's switching to. <laughs> oh well. Um, Creating Beauty wants to know: Did we do the four-act trailer breakdown? Yeah, we did that a long time ago. Amanda West says, "Ha ha, ML." Amanda, it's not funny. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Booms. That's another one. Brams and booms. Um, Ariana, do you want to text him and find out uh, if we have any hope of getting him back or not? 
Marion Laird says she doesn't know what a riser is. Um, Who's hits? Who's hits? I'll ask that. Okay. This is why I don't do many split-screen remotes. Um, oh, Randon is now available. Okay, let me go find Randon again. Add Randon. Yep, you're back. Okay, uh, now let me see. How do I add you back to the frame? Because I've... I've still got the old one. Yeah, well, I've got your voice, but I've got a freeze frame of you on the left. Um, hmm. Bad, bad Comcast. Okay, let me go back to number 17. Drag your video shot over the left-hand side. What is she saying? <laughs> Okay, well, I've only got you audio-wise. You're still frozen, so I'm going to have to add you back to the shot. Um, and I'm looking at my setup. By the way, everybody, that's half of the setup that it requires to do one of these things. It's not fun. Okay, so I am going to add a shot. Let's try that. Uh Brandon, add. It's not grabbing you. It's just not. I'm trying so hard to make this work. And things were going so well. Hi, Ari. Hello. Yeah, I I actually, oh man, I went to add him back into the shot and uh, it failed miserably. I, I followed the steps and uh, got him from Rendezvous and all I've got is a spinning wheel in the middle of the screen where he should be. It's like it's not seeing the bandwidth again. Well, yeah, but we did that already, and I'm even looking at rendezvous, and I've just got a spinning circle. It's just not getting him. No, I mean it's. I think it's bandwidth. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Right now, I've just got a spinning circle. Okay. All right, let me know. Let me know. I'll talk to the guys in the chat room. Well, hello, folks in the chat room. <laughs> man, oh, man. Got to say, 
Yeah, um, we're just we're only getting your audio. The video is not coming through on Rendezvous. Uh, seeing a huge question mark where Randon was uh, looking surprised before. Yep. Hello, everybody. Uh, looks like a big pause button behind me. Oh, you guys aren't getting. Okay, we're trying some stuff behind the scenes. You're not getting me either? Okay, I can see you. I can. Um, okay, making some progress. Oh, apparently not as much as I would like. Boy, good thing we're not on like a big famous TV network. Okay, so I now have him on half of my screen on the preview side, but I'm unable to drag the shot where he's centered. Why is that? Okay, I can't see if you could switch it around. Why is the video off? Did I call you on audio? Uh, yeah, I think you did. All right, calling you, you back. Can just Yep, too late. Here, I got it. Okay. Yeah, so... Okay, so... What's the problem you're saying? That's the problem. I need... I was trying to drag him over, but it's not letting me drag it. To center him. Uh, Oh, yeah, I got to do the 480 thing again. Yeah. Okay, properties. And then it should be under the fader one and then under crop. Right. So don't put it in the other area, just the crop area. It won't even let me enter the numbers. I've got the window open. I've got the crop. And okay, can I see it? I just can't see anything right now. So it yeah, won't, um, it won't even. Yeah, the video's like frozen. Uh, <laughs> Nothing like okay. having a meltdown in front of a live audience. <laughs> yeah, I can't even enter the crop. Are you, okay, I just can't see. Are you under the side? Oh, there we like go. Where, Here, I got it, I got it. I figured it out. 480. Hang on, I can't hold the phone and do this at the same time. Sorry, no problem. Well, I guess we won't be doing a split screen remote next week. 
I was so happy I was going to call Anthony Cesare and say, we got it all worked out. It's great. That would have been a lie. Reset. Okay. No, I didn't want to do a reset. Yeah, you just hit 480 and then you're going to, you know, drag uh, the corners in. Uh, don't I have to hit something at the bottom after the 480, like an enter or something? No. I've got half of them. If he scoots to his right, he's fine. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay, I mean, you could ask. There we go. There, there we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, come back. Come back. Three. Right. Nope, the other way. Keep going and keep going right there. Stop. Okay. So now, um, let me do this. Wow, look at that. Okay. We're back. Talk to me. Randon. Can you hear me? Yeah, are we back? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're back. Hey, look. All right. It's us. Uh, can everybody see us okay? And you hear us okay? Yeah, you're, I can hear you. You're good on the video. All right. Bye, Ari. I just hung up on Ariana by accident. <laughs> kind of. Kind of by accident. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm getting like Sorry. a, a thousand people saying, yeah, dear God, what next? Um, all right. So we're talking about you and Kyle and your third partner getting together and building the fallout group right. and, and why, um, why you needed it. So what did you guys do differently with your sounds than the other established companies had done that you didn't like their stuff so much? Yeah. I mean, basically we wanted to make it easy to use and manipulate. So we, instead of making everything kind of a finalized product that sounds done and ready to go, we made it so it's kind of dry. So if, like with our riser instrument, um, instead of having it just one recorded riser with everything we combined together, we broke it down into three layers so you could pick different elements for each of the three layers. Um, and they're all recorded dry. So you can use your own reverb to match your song. That was the problem we always had was you'd buy these libraries and they're so big and beautiful sounding, but they don't fit the reverb of your song or they don't fit Maybe there's one element in there that you don't like or that you need to change. So we wanted to build a riser instrument where we could manipulate each characteristic of the riser and kind of have something to make them unique so um, that uh, they had, stand out. I had people while we were trying to fix stuff saying, I don't really know what a riser is. So can you describe oh, it? Sure. So a riser, I wish we could have had uh, yeah, them. Yeah. That's the reason the show started late is we tried so hard. We did a test run <clears throat> the other day and it worked fine. Yeah. And yeah. we started out way in advance of today's show. We could not get the audio to work. So yeah. sorry. It's just been a, so, um, a hellish so a riser. day. It's going to be in every trailer and a lot of TV production music as well. But um, a riser is just any kind of tone or a lot of times it's strings, anything that's building in, in volume and intensity and usually rising in pitch. And it kind of lays in with all of the other music going on in a scene to just build that crescendo. So it's, um, it's more than just a crescendo though. So if you imagine like a brass, a brass crescendo that just kind of gets louder as the note holds out or, or strings or anything, 
it's that, except it's usually rising in pitch as well. So strings are going to play like an aggressive kind of glissandi up a two octave stretch and, and get louder and louder and louder until they come to that climax. So you're going to be using trailer or risers in every act of your trailer. It's going to be one to end act one, act two, act three, and, and oftentimes short risers in between just to help build certain momentum or build tension or whatever. So they're, they're a crucial piece. And talk about some of the other things that you've also got in there. Um, yes, yeah, so we've got the Brahms instrument. Which Tell everybody is, what know, a Brahm is. The big yeah. uh, Hans Zimmer. Duh, big, big brass sound, you know. Not that. Not that, no. Nope. Okay. <laughs> um, so again, we had problems with libraries that made these because they sounded really cool, but they were also very unique sounding. So once you hear it in one trailer, you kind of don't want to use it. Um, so we made an instrument that separates out the synth side of it and the live brass recording side of it into two layers. So you can uh, mix those however you want or have one or the other. And nobody uh, had ever done these things before? Like, you guys couldn't have been the not, only composers being frustrated by the inability know, of these other companies really to do so it. Not really so much. I mean, you'd hear a little bit of it here and there, but most of the time these sound effects libraries that make this kind of stuff are, are making it almost targeted toward the music supervisors that want to use that stuff on top of other music. And so a lot of it was just too affected or too polished to be useful, and especially if you wanted to create something unique out of it. Um, so we kind of set out just doing our own thing, trying to make instruments to share with each other to use. And as we started playing with it and you know we recorded live strings for our riser instrument um, live full orchestra we recorded a live ensemble string section um, and we just realized how amazing it would be to combine that with synths and a bunch of organic scraping and bowing and you know we scraped concrete we scraped <laughs> all sorts of stuff to build these risers um, and then we made them in different uh, you know four eight and 16 bar risers and you can combine them in any way you want so all in all with all the sound sources we calculated that you could make 850,000 unique risers wow and that's not counting effects that's just mixing the different sound sources together um, so, do you think um, that the the music soups at the trailer companies will start buying your software and using it in their edit bays probably not <laughs> I guess they could, though. Yeah, the I mean, it is, sounds like such a really, great tool. What it what it isn't is uh, pull it out of the box and have a riser ready to drop into your mix. I mean, it, it kind of is. We've got presets and, and whatnot that do that. Yeah. But it's really geared toward the composer side where you want something unique and uh, that isn't in every other trailer. And so, or something where you can manipulate it to sound the way you want it to. So... That's really what we were going after. Um, an editor that wanted to spend a little time could certainly use it, and I would hope they do. But uh, um, where can people? Where I saw the demo. I can't remember if I saw it on your website or on YouTube. Uh, um, but where can people go watch these demos? Because I'm sorry that we couldn't do it for you on the show today. Yeah. But, but frankly, um, the videos would have been are better than what we probably would have done on the show as well. So, yeah, go watch these things, yeah. spend some time, because I'm not even a composer. I understand what composers do, and I understand everything takes place in the studio. I was blown away by this stuff. You guys did a great job. 
Oh, so. thank you. Yeah, and you can see the videos are on YouTube, but we've so there's the Fallout Music Group YouTube channel, or just on our website we've got the same video link. So and what's um, the what's the URL for the uh, website? FalloutMusicGroup.com. All right, so, Fallout Music. Yep, falloutmusicgroup.com. Um, and yep. what are the three different products that you guys have now? Um, so we've got the trailer drops, which are just the, you know, I can't do it, but, you know, the sub drops that you hear in the breaks in trailers, that kind of stuff. Right. So we've got a real simple one. See, just you just did drops. it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I promise that's not one of the sounds. <laughs> but uh, so we've got that. That's the one I actually gave out at the road rally last year. Okay. So, you know, um, so we've got that. Then we've got the trailer Brahms instrument that we talked about. And then our newest one is the Ascension, um, Ascendance Risers. And so, um, and we've got a whole bunch more planned for this year as well. Wow. I don't know how you find the time. I really don't, man. You're, you're <laughs> quite amazing. Thank um, you. And, and your wife probably qualifies for sainthood, I'm sure, as, as your family. <laughs> she does, for, for many reasons other than just that. <laughs> Well, this has been enjoyable. Other than some tech glitches, uh, I always love hanging out with you. You're you're extremely articulate, and uh, I, like I said, I, I wanted to have you on the show because I'm so blown away by what it is that I saw in these videos. You know, it's I want everybody to know. Randon didn't reach out to me and say, "Hey, can you tell the taxi community <laughs> about this?" This was all me being so completely blown away that I reached out to him. I don't even know if I told you, but I featured it in the cool stuff part of the newsletter, I think it was last month. Um, oh, and, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I did that without even talking to you. I just <laughs> saw it and copied the URL and handed it off to the newsletter people and said, here, make sure that gets in. So Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a lot um, of fun. And we're trying to make it cheap so everyone can afford it. Oh, it, it's that's the other thing. Tell them how cheap it is. Um, so the risers are 59, um, which, you know, competing products are generally in the 300 plus range. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the Brahms instrument is 20 bucks and the drops are just five bucks. Unbelievable. I mean, generally, most of the products we're planning, we're trying to keep them all under the 50, 60 dollar range. Incredible. Very targeted, high quality and just making them so everyone can afford them, basically. Uh, and it's not like they're a lesser product. They're actually a far more robust product for a fraction <laughs> of the money. <laughs> yeah, they're really super useful. I, I, I have risers from all sorts of companies that I've used over the years. And I can honestly say that since we built this riser tool, it's the only thing I use constantly. And I it, never use the same one twice. And it looks like it's really easy to use. The, it, as it I is, watched yeah. the video, I went, I could do that. And I've yeah, never... Yeah done that sort of stuff yeah it's it's really basic there's not multiple pages or anything it's just little one page instruments that give you some nice flexibility so yeah we're just trying to go for ease of use and inexpensive all right well um i promised everybody that we would give away uh, one of the type one of your products in the chat room um yeah. Uh, and I can't remember if I asked you this, so I'm going to ask you live on camera and you have to say yes, <laughs> which is, can I give another one away to the person who poses the best question in the comments after the show is off? Yeah, sure. As well? Awesome. Yep. And um, let's just make it the full suite. Oh, really? All three of them? Yeah, all three of them. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, guys, here's what we're going to do is you guys are going to type in a plus one 
and hundreds of them are going to go flying by, and Ariana <laughs> is going to put her magic finger on the the chat room, and she's going to pick a person, and then she will connect you um, with Randon so he can send you the software. Yep. So ready, set, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. No, no, no. You guys start too early. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> go. <laughs> and while they're doing that, I will say um, on our website, um, by the riser instrument, by Ascendance, there is a download link for uh, 25 risers for free, by the way. Wow. So anyone can go grab that for free. It's literally just an audio recording of 25 of the, the snapshots of the presets um, that we made just to give away. Uh, I, I can't see how this thing isn't going to take off like crazy because anytime <laughs> you build something better that's much cheaper, yeah. Um, right. It should, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so far, I mean, the people who have used it, uh, and we've got some big composers that have bought it and used it and just love it. So, um, yeah, we're hoping. It's a lot of fun to make. So, you know, it'd be nice to make some money off of it too, right? Uh, you should, you know. I mean, if you built a, a better mousetrap. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to give out any full names, but our mutual friend Dan, who lives uh, on another continent, has he tried it? I don't think so. No. Interesting. All right. I should I should bug him about that actually. <laughs> yeah, you should. I love that guy. He's so, for lack of a better word, he's just a good, sweet man. You know, he's just <laughs> he is. He's good natured. You know, very right. like serious and thoughtful and contemplative. But I like him. And his wife is a hoot. Right. I love his wife. I've never met his wife actually. I've never met him in person. Oh really? No. Oh, okay. Just, you know, phone internet email you know oh man uh yeah uh i met them they came to taxi office we went out to dinner one night a couple of years ago and then they were in town about i don't know maybe nine months ago and deb and i went out to dinner with them again and just had the, the nicest time there yeah if you ever get a chance awesome. to meet them go do it yeah for sure Okay, Ariana, have we picked a winner? Type something into, because uh, people are just hitting plus ones like crazy at this point, so. <laughs> picked one. Okay, tell us. Who, okay, everybody can stop so Ariana can tell us who she picked. The winner is Stephen Patty. Congratulations, Stephen Patty. You have won the entire suite of stuff from Fallout Music Group. And trust me, after seeing the videos, a couple of them I actually watched twice, you, you just got something really awesome. So, uh, Stephen, what you need to do is email taxitv at taxi.com. That's taxitv at taxi.com. And tell Ariana... Um, your email address and she will send it to Randon and he will send you the suite of good stuff or a key to download it or whatever. Yep. Um, and remember everybody go after the show uh, a couple minutes later when they post the, the archive video, please go give us a like, please. I'm begging you. We like those likes. <laughs> um, subscribe if you've never watched this show before and, and don't forget that little alert bell thing. It's up there somewhere. Right up there. 
uh, on your screen. Uh, click the alert bell uh, on YouTube so that you get alerts and we go live. Randon, um, I, I can't thank you enough, man. Uh, I always enjoy hanging out with you. I'm, I'm just so proud of everything that you're doing and, and uh, proud of, of you guys coming up with the software. It's so impressive that I, I really, really, truly want to let everybody know about it. So congratulations. Well, thank you. Good Appreciate luck. It. Keep me posted, and uh, I will see you at the road rally, which, yep. is, you know, I think realistically, it's probably going to happen. We'll, we'll yeah, yeah, we will keep everybody well informed. And, and well, I'm, I'm counting on it one way or the other. Yeah, I'm going to send my private jet to everybody's house to pick you guys <laughs> up. And, one at a time, and we'll have it disinfected. I'm kidding. I don't own a private jet. I own a plastic jet that says Continental on it. It's about right. that big. Yeah, <laughs> that big. That's the only jet I own. Um, all right, Randon, thank you very much. Right, um, talk to you soon. Bye, you guys in the all chat right. room. Uh, all right, we're out. Uh, where's the band? Holy crap. There's the band. Man, they never drop a beat. I love those guys. <laughs> Bye, everybody.